millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. One or two Arsenal players suggesting that Lennon may have made rather a lot of that. Dawson and King waiting to come in again. Lenny King comes in! Spurs are in the lead! Ledley King, the captain, roared onto that. And Tottenham, who haven't beaten Arsenal in 12 attempts, have struck first in the 150th North London derby. Ledley King, the scorer, as he was indeed in the 5-4 last year. What a good header. Jens Lehmann given no chance here. Carvalho heads clear. Drogba, lovely layoff. And on it goes. And onside here. It's Arjen Robben for Chelsea with a great chance. Oh. What a tackle. They talk about great goals. That is a great challenge. Fantastic work from Ledley King. Was he or wasn't he offside? Well, he gets the benefit, Robin. Look, Ledley King's got six, seven yards to make up. And he's like a train powering back. And stabs it away from Robin just as he's about to pull the trigger. Brilliant work. Absolutely world-class defending there. If you didn't know from that, that rousing, int- I'm I'm crying a bit. I'm going to be honest, Raj. I'm crying, mate. Um, if you didn't know, it's episode 26 of the Ledley King. Ledley King ruled the Ledley King. Ledley King. Um, I can't say much other than I miss him, Raj. Yeah, I mean, we try to do his best to give him a fitting tribute, but he's he's probably the in in our lifetime, at least, probably the the most legendary player that's ever gonna gonna wear the shirt for us. You, um, you know, I tweeted this the other day. You know, Rafa, Modric, Bale. You know, they're all great players, but give me Ledley back any day. Like honestly, I I love the man. It, it wasn't just about his talent; like he was fantastic, but just he was just like the emblem. He was Spurs. Um, I can remember in those last couple of seasons when when we had him and he was just ravaged by injury. 
everyone in the in the Bell and Hare car park before every game, you know, everyone trying to get kind of like signal on their phones. Oh, can anyone see the lineup? Can anyone see the lineup? Is King playing? Is King playing? And that, that's all people would care about. It'd be like if Ledley's starting, then everyone's like, "That's all right, then. That's all right. We're we're, we're in good hands." And I, I almost feel like there's been a lot made of, you know, is it AVB's fault or is it Tim Sherwood's fault or is it Levy's fault that there's this kind of haze hanging over Spurs and the support at the moment. And I'm sure everyone has their own part to play in that of those three figures that I mentioned. But I think one of the big parts, and I, I genuinely do believe this, I think one of the big parts of what we're missing is just that linchpin figure that it, it, Ledley King was just, he was just the club and Gareth Bale kind of masked that for a little bit last year because he was just so fucking good. And we've kind of got Sandro, who's a bit of a cult figure, but he's even Sandro's not widely lauded like Ledley was. Ledley just brought everyone together. Everyone who was Spurs was just like, yeah, Ledley's our boy and we love him. I think, um, the thing with Ledley is was his his rise to to prominence in our side was timed perfectly because he came out of the out of the fallout of a former centre back captain of ours who doesn't deserve to be mentioned on a Ledley King show, um, and we were left with a, a, a poor defence after he'd gone elsewhere to somewhere you shouldn't go, and um, just the fact that somebody had come from our youth side was was Tottenham from when he started playing professional football through to right at the very end and he was the person to, to wear the shirt and to be such a, a good person about it and be such a, a person to be proud of wearing the shirt. He's not like a captain that we can be ashamed of in any way. He's not somebody who was ever controversial apart from the wants, which was, you know, touched upon slightly. But other than that, on the field and, and elsewhere, he's a, he's a model professional and modern human being more than anything else, which is why he's, he's still at the club in the, in the capacities he's in. And um, I, I don't think you can say any more than that, really. He was, he was a special player. The, the, the one caveat is that, you know, had he been fully fit, it's, it's a purely hypothetical, of course, but had he been purely fit and had he got to, you know, the, the fame that he should have done, being as good as he was as, as such players as Jonathan Woodgate had done, um, had a had a bid come in from a big club like Manchester United or, or Real Madrid when we were especially crap in the in the early two thousands, mid two thousands when we weren't particularly good and we still were definitely a selling club. Um, he may well have been on his way, but um, you know you, you can't really work with with hypotheticals. He didn't go anywhere. He, he played for Tottenham as long as he could. He, he worked as hard for us as long as he could, and he's still there today. And he, he always says the right thing. He always acts still whenever he's he's got a camera on him or, or speaks about the club. He still acts like our captain. He, he still conducts himself in that manner. And um, you know, we, we, as I say, we're probably not going to see the likes of him as a as a man wearing the Tottenham shirt again. We're, pro- we're probably going to have better players, but nobody that's as special as he is. It's a, it's, a, it's a really good point you raise. Um, and I think, you know, as much as people can speculate as to whether or not he would have left or anything like that, the fact remains that against you know, specialised medical practitioners' advice, he worked himself into the ground at detriment to his own health for the club. Um, I, I, if you read his autobiography, a lot of people have said, 
it's not that interesting because he's not controversial. But he's he just doesn't strike me as that type of character. He's a, he's a classy kind of guy. Um, he's a very kind of humble lad, and that's echoed throughout throughout his book. Yeah, there's no juicy gossip in there. Um, but at the same time, if you read it, what what you can see is a, a very humble guy that is, despite the many disappointments he faced throughout his career, was just committed to the club and really genuinely had an effect. I'm, I feel like I'm going to cry, mate. I honestly do. But like, you, you can just see it. Like he, he truly, truly bought into Spurs and just loved the fans, loved the club. Um, and I like, as you quite rightly say, it's going to be tough to find someone that we really have that affinity with. Um, I mean, what what would you say was your your favourite Ledley moment, Raj? Um, I think the one standout moment was probably the, the Iron Robin tackle. Um, but I think the one that probably made me well up the most and I, I may have enjoyed the most was when he actually got a lift a cup for us, albeit with, with Robbie Keane with him. But it was the fact that he had some sort of validation for his time at the club was nice to see because there are some some players that have been at the club for a very long time and given us a very good service that I haven't had that. I mean, Jermaine Defoe was extremely unfortunate not to be in that side that won that <laughs> cup. I mean, he, he managed to pick the, the six-month period either side that we'd won a cup to leave and then come back. I'm sorry, I shouldn't um, laugh, but I, I couldn't help it. It was just quite funny. Yeah. I mean, uh, you can say what you want about Jermaine Defoe in the, like today. I mean, he's, he's not on the same level as Led the King by any means, but um, he, he gave us a lot of years. But he never won anything like Ledley did. No. And, uh, the fact that Ledley got to have his one day beating Chelsea and um, being the first um, first team to win the League Cup in the new Wembley, something that will never be taken from us, um, is, is, is special for him. I'm, I'm glad that he has that one honour as Tottenham captain because it would have been, it'd have been a, a slight shame had he not won a major trophy at the club while he was, while he was there. I think I'll say um, kudos to my... To my lovely lady friend Charlotte, she she got me a couple of years ago, possibly the best Valentine's present a Spurs fan could ever ask for, in that she won a charity auction for me to go and watch a game with Ledley. Um, I watched us play Leon um, at White Hart Lane with Ledley King. And even, even then, he came across as just... You know, you'd expect, and you could almost forgive in that kind of atmosphere that the guy, you know, he's he's linked to the club. A charity has asked him to go and sit with some pleb and watch the game. You know that he might be sat there watching his clock and thinking, "Oh fucking hell!" You know, I've got to sit and talk to this fat bastard for the next you know hour and a half. But the bloke was lovely. Not only was he, the only thing that really drew him out of conversation was the fact that he was glued to the game as he, you know, as if he were a fan. He was sat there, he was cheering every goal. He was willing us to press forwards at every kind of opportunity we had. It was just, it was like watching the, the, the game with a mate, but not with a mate, I wish, um, <laughs> but like watching it with another fan. But he, uh, the, the thing that stuck, stuck out for me and I do think is, is slightly poignant. Um, is that as much as he got to win that 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 cup with us when you can see a player of his just ability um i guess essentially having such a wasted career as he did it is quite sad and you can see that he is a guy that 
probably is, and you can see it in his book as well, is quite jaded by that. He, you know, a couple of other people that were there were sort of saying to him, you know, one of the main questions that came out was, what's the, what's the best stadium you've ever played in? And he was like, well, obviously, aside for White Hart Lane, and then everyone had a little chuckle, he said, well, probably, uh, I don't know, Old Trafford or something, or Wembley. Um, and people were like, well, weren't you playing in the San Siro? And he's like, no, I was injured. Oh, but you played in the Bernabeu, didn't you? No, I was injured. And then everyone was just kind of like, oh, it was just really awkward. And you could yeah. see that you, you could you could see it was just palatable. You could see the kind of almost like the, the disappointment on his own face, like how just how much regret there must be for the lad. And, you, you know, you can't feel too bad for him. There's people that are dying in the world because they can't afford to drink or eat. But at the same time, in context of what it is that we're talking about as a as a very talented individual in his field, not being able to fully realise his massive potential is it's heartbreaking for the guy. And you have to feel for him. But, you know, we got some very good years from him. We got some very good memories. So Yeah, Ledley King. Come on you Spurs. Love you. Love you, Ledley. I know you'll be listening, mate. I know you'll be listening. <laughs> um How's how have Spurs been going so far, Raj? It's, it's you know, we're we've been apparently told to eat our words on on Tim Sherwood, and I suppose I suppose we 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 have been a bit, you know. We, you you've got to give it to Tim. He's he's doing an admirable job so far. Uh, completely. Um, I mean, I I didn't envision it going this well at all. Um, I think. This game particularly was one that I was I was pleased with him the most because it felt less like he was he was almost bumbling his way through as he as he may have done previously. Um, I think a point that we've made before and a point that we should continue to be clear about is the fact that him as a as a person as a man I don't think we're ever going to like him. Um, I think we we both probably agree that he's a deplorable character as a human being. Uh, for things he's done and said previously. But um, in terms of judging on the field, we do try our best to put that to one side and we do try and evaluate him as best as possible as we only can. I mean, it's a game of opinions. We can only offer what what we truly believe. And um, up until this weekend, he'd not really shied away from his one tactic. He'd not experimented too much. He'd not you know, shown too much and especially a similar point to what we made last week. He'd never really articulated himself in, in press conferences very well. Although he may not be asked um, the most like pressing questions at all. And he, he may not be able to get to, to build on them in a way that maybe Villas Boas has. He's never really tried to. And I think that was a sticking point for us. The fact that he, he almost dumbed down what he was saying to us. But um the fact that it changed the system, the fact that it's going so well, um, as we said before, it's not, not something that we have to particularly eat as words over, but we don't want the club to do badly in any sense. I mean, it's a win-win situation for us. If we're doing well and we've got a manager that's winning, we're not people to, to complain about that. We support Tottenham Hotspur, not Tim Sherwood. And if we're disgruntled at anything, it's probably the situation we were left in when, when we had to make that change of manager and the decision was made and we weren't particularly pleased with it and we probably still aren't. But the fact that he's doing well is is a is a bonus for us. Um, where he finishes in the league now is 
is completely in his own hands and, and the hands of the players. I mean, this upcoming game against Manchester City is probably one of his biggest tests, including Arsenal away. He, he's failed that one, but the City game, now that we've built up some momentum, he's shown that he's willing to change the shape of the side and, and try some different tactics. So if he if he gives a good impression of himself here, then by all means, if he's if he's to finish fourth, then I wouldn't want to stand in his way at all of taking a job long-term because there's no point in chopping and changing just because we can. And um, he'll, he'll, he'll have earned the job at that stage, whereas perhaps when he was giving it with, with no, no real FIFA pro a coaching license and no previous prefer professional coaching experience it, it perhaps was a was a slight shock to the system for us which is why we were so adverse to to what he was what he was trying to do with us especially after you know that first performance against West Ham but um steady on as we go now um if we carry on winning games we're, we're not going to complain um it we're is, not going to suddenly here's one for you mate if uh yeah. If we finish fourth under Sherwood or fifth, no, if we finish fourth or fifth under Sherwood, um, would you keep him on or would you get rid? Fourth, yes. Fifth, I don't think he stays. Um, Levy's already shown that fifth isn't good enough for him. Um, the fact that he, he he pulled a plug on AVB when he, he thought it wasn't going well enough in the league um, is clear of that. The fact that he, he said to to Redknapp that we needed a change of direction when he'd failed to get Champions League a couple of years on the trot shoes that as well. But so, um, you personally, if he got fifth, would you keep him up? It depends who's available. If um, if Van Gaal said he was available, then I'd um, I'd want to give him a summer. But it's still, that's not ideal. Even the fact that he's now, you know, giving us kissy faces in the media saying that he, he'll want to come to the Premier League after the World Cup. Doing the maths, if he's to get anywhere and, and, and any advantage, stage of the World Cup with Holland, his pre-season with Tottenham will be a grand total of about a, of about a month long. So he'll have like two or three games in that period. He'll, all of our business will again be waiting until the end of the window. Um, and it's not an ideal situation either way. So I'd want... If, if Sherwood carries on on the, the trajectory he currently is and we miss out to fifth in a similar manner to as we did last season where I don't think we could have got anything more out of the team. And, you know, when we missed out with Redknapp, we always felt like we hadn't pushed ourselves as much in the second half of the season. It felt like we'd actually missed out, whereas last season it felt like we'd given everything, we tried our hardest, and we missed out from Sod's Law and the fact that Arsenal had managed to put together the most tremendous run of form in the the second half of the season that that was on nobody's nobody's radar at all that they were going to be able to string that together. I mean that was that was unprecedented. So, I mean, if if he manages to miss out in in a in a less gutting fashion than that, then I can see no reason as to why he's not proved himself worthy of the job. And he, he's got a he's got a contract that goes on longer than that, so he, he's he's more than welcome to fulfil it. The only caveat for me, and this links us very nicely to the main show, is that I feel we still haven't had a proper test. The only proper test we have had is against the Arsenal. And we came unstuck in pretty big of a way. That that sentence was awful, but it was it was it was a, a pretty average dash poor performance. And that was probably his first real test. Now this is his first real test in the league, um, and that is Manchester City. Um, we're speaking to Rob, who was on the show previously, and a pal of his 
called Alex from Typical City. So, hello, Rob. Welcome, welcome back to Rule the Roost, mate. You, you, you came back. Raj didn't put you off of his scrutiny about, you know, spending and uh, whatnot. Not asked, mate. <laughs> no, you're all right, all right. You've made it awkward, now from like the get go, mate. That's yeah, you know, that's what I'm here for. You know, it's not for constructive football chat, is it? You know. And I, sh- I should say as well, well we're joined by Alex. I, well, I did say this in the little intro bit, but hello, Alex. Welcome to Roll the Roost, mate. Hello, thanks for having me. No, not to worry, not to worry. So, you boys, you, you both write for Typical City, yeah? Yeah, yeah, that's right. Yeah, Rob's been kind enough to let me write a bit for him. Is he, how's he, how's he standing up, Rob? Is he doing all right? He's brilliant, yeah. He's yeah. great. Love it. Nice oh, you're making me blush now, Rob, making me blush. <laughs> Uh, that's it. So, well, I don't know where to. St- Let's get it out of the way. Um, the last time we met, it 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 didn't go very well for Tottenham, really. Um, well, this yeah, the six nil. Yeah, it was. Um, How was that the score? I think so. Something I, I can't really remember, but it wasn't memorable. No, it was it was pretty special that for us. You know, it was, I mean, it was pretty special for Spurs in another time. Yeah, as well. it really was. <laughs> Um, yeah, were you were you at the game either? Yeah, yeah, I was. Yeah. Was it was it one of those? Because I was at the Wigan nine one a few a few years ago, and when you're actually smashing a team as badly as that, there is that part of you. It's like oh, this is it's a bit it's a bit awkward now. Really, it's kind of you're still obviously cheering. You're still over the moon at your team smashing some, especially, a t- I guess, a team like Spurs that were billed at the start of the season as apparently being a, a potential title rival to pretty much put that notion to bed, even though I think West Ham had done that a few a few weeks previously. Um, how, 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 how was this kind of atmosphere there? Um, well, like, like you say, I think, I think the fact they, they were turned off and everyone was saying that they were going to be this, you know, Newly, newly title challenging team and that, and then I don't, I don't even think rolled over is probably a strong enough word. It was, it was. It's like you did a lot of your players didn't even seem to want to be there for quite a lot of the match. Maybe I outside. Don't what you mean by quite a lot of the match? It took you about twenty seconds. To think, <laughs> yeah. But you know, well, one nil's not uh, not that bad. But but yeah, my my point being that it just obviously heads went down, but. I mean, there was there was just nothing for the rest of the game, really. About about ten minutes in the first half, you had a bit of possession, but apart from that, it just yeah. Thinking wasn't... back to it now, I think we actually had one 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 chance that fell to Eric Lamella, where he had a pretty much open goal where he should have scored, where literally any other player on the park will have scored because it was it was it was no more than a tap in to make it one all. And when he'd missed that, you could just tell that there was, there was no hope for us in the game. But the manner in which we capitulated after that was was embarrassing. I think what what stuck out for me the most was when I think about that year when it was kind of like City were on the rise, but we were still probably just about considered the better team when we did beat you at the Etihad and got fourth place that year. It was... It felt like there was just so much fight there and there was so much belief amongst all of our players that you watch that game and I couldn't even believe I was watching Spurs. It wasn't the Spurs I'd known at all. Um, and then in stark contrast to that, when we've apparently developed, I know I know you, you guys have really come on a lot since then, but 
apparently we have as well. And it, we just looked like we didn't deserve to be on the same pitch as you, you know? Um, I, I mean, from the outside, how much of that would you attribute to Andre Villas-Boas? Um, and I guess that leads into saying, do you think we were right to get rid of him? Um, I don't know. I mean, it was just a, a bad day, wasn't it? To put it mildly, um, you know, for your guy, for your boys. Um, I mean, I was annoyed because all week I'd been bigging up Larice. Uh, <laughs> uh, you know, it didn't take long for me to look like a, a bit of a prat, really, because of, I mean, there was I think there was two two poor clearances in that game from the from the keeper on the um, yeah, so that was a little bit frustrating. But in terms of your question, I don't know really. I just think that we've motored on uh, massively. So I think regardless of, you know, Villash Boas or anything, you, we were, you know, we were set to give you a hiding that day because we're good at home and, and our players clicked. So, and when our players click, it doesn't really matter what the opposition do. Um, to be honest, we, we tend to overwhelm teams and, you know, we have plenty of possession and, were ruthless in front of goal and all those kind of things. So no, nah, I don't. I wouldn't. I wouldn't say comparing the the Peter Crouch game with the six nil and saying is that down to Villa. No, I wouldn't say that because we're, we're just a completely different animal. And in terms of whether you should have got rid of Villash Boas, I am inclined to say no. Um, I kind of liked him, and I don't know. I think that. If if you, I would have, I would have given him to the end of the season. Let's put it that way. I mean, are you liking Pellegrini at the moment? If we if we talk about that, because I know you're 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 quite an advocate for Mancini, aren't you, Rob? I don't know where you stand on it, Alex. But I I I agree with a lot of Rob what Rob says about Mancini that you know he's he brought us unprecedented success, um, not unprecedented, but in recent memory, and but it, it was great. But I think that there does come a time when it's quite clear that a manager has to go. And I think I th- the moment for me, I, the FA Cup final last year, as soon as the players walked out, I said to my dad next to me, we're going to lose today. And because they just, you could just see it the moment they stepped on the pitch. And as it turned out, that was, that was what happened, unfortunately. That was a pretty dark day. But um, I think Manchini, from then it was clear Manchini. that Mancini had lost it, really. Yeah, he'd lost, he'd lost the dressing room big time. Um, and it's not always easy to see that from the outside. And I've been speaking to a lot of people involved in the club recently, in you know, in my role as uh, at the Bleacher Report, and they they've been giving me some sort of inside information there, which was obviously the fan. The, on the one hand, the fans saw a guy who, like Alex just said, had delivered a Premier League title and an FA Cup. He'd kind of restored a bit of pride at the club. He. Completely changed the culture of the club as well. Let's be honest, because we were a lo- we, we were losers. Um, we were, you know, right to the core. We were losers, even under Mark Hughes, who spent knocking on two hundred million in eighteen months. He didn't reverse that at all. You know, we, we he came nowhere near Mark Hughes, nowhere near turning us into winners. And then we had all of a sudden we had this handsome, ex fantastic footballer who was. You know, we were winning. We, he turned us into winners, and we won a won a couple of trophies. But so the fans obviously had this massive emotional attachment to Mancini. But then within the club, it became very, very obvious that 
he had lost the dressing room to the point where every single player, every single member of staff, even like down to the kit man, couldn't stand him. Um, and one one uh, official at City said to me, and I thought this was quite interesting, was that when you've got a player like James Milner, who's clearly not happy with the manager, then you know that there's a big problem. <laughs> because obviously James Milner's the kind of player who is not going to complain. He just kind of gets his head down and works hard. And even he had had enough. And James, like, James Milner's salt of the earth. He lives. His parents live about two streets away from me. And um, went to the same high school. His primary school is about five minutes away from my house as well. And uh, there's not nobody around here that's got a bad word to say around about him, which you don't often find with Premier League footballers. They often have a bit of an ego, uh, a bit of something about them. But, I mean, our high school had... Um, he was the record uh, appearance holder for the under-21s. And the shirt he, he broke the record with hangs on our high school wall. He often... See him just just walking around the place just as a normal person. He's so if, as you say, if he's got a problem with somebody, he's obviously done something very wrong because he, he's one of those people. Although it's often taken taken fun of somewhat, he, he, he couldn't hurt a fly. He's a very placid human being. Yeah, he's a total professional as well, and he never complains and just gets on with it. And I think even he was at the stage where he'd had enough of the last manager. I think there was a couple of players who still liked him I think Micah Richards is one because Mancini turned his career around he was going nowhere and then all of a sudden was playing brilliantly under Mancini and maybe a couple of others who he'd actually signed um, you know who he was responsible for bringing them to the club and giving them big contracts and whatnot but I think pretty much everyone had given up and the way he was explained to me was at first having a kind of autocratic dictator shouting in your ear and telling you what to do worked at first because we were a bit of a mess. But then after sort of two and a half years, I think it, it just became white noise and they'd all had enough of him. So he had to go and Pellegrini obviously has come in and just turned the whole situation around within the space of six months. I think in terms of AVB, from what I've heard, I was really disappointed that we let him go um, in in terms of the the footballing side of things. But as as time's gone on, it seems as though from a lot of pretty reliable people, um, it seems like it was a, a, a similar situation. Not so much in that he was a, a dictator type figure, but it seemed to be that the the weight of expectation from the fans, coupled with the relentless hounding that AVB got from the from the British media, and that's not, that's not to sound like a victim. Like that that the lad got a special type of abuse from the British press, really. Uh, that, was um, a, that was a disgrace, that was. it was. Uh, they, they seemed to have drawn a target on him before he even entered his office. Oh, completely. Like, just com- destroyed him. <laughs> yeah, completely. Um, and it just seemed like that, that thing he had with Neil Ashton, I mean, it was, as much as was that part of me that was like, yeah, go on, mate, it's, it's good to see a manager kind of stand up to someone in the press. There was also that part of you that thought, it's a bit... You know, like like Sam Allardyce and stuff said, it's kind of it's one of those things where you just have to sort of get your head down and get on with it. But it it just seemed to be that because he was facing criticism from all angles, that even people from within the club, so Stefan Freund, who was supposed to be his number two, would even suggest like the most minute difference, and he'd get very tetchy, and he just fell into his own kind of world whereby no one could really approach him with anything even constructive because he just felt he just felt the pressure so much and 
for whatever people say about him that he was you know pig ignorant or that he was too arrogant to change things i i i don't see that as the thing but i think it's maybe just down to his temperament that the the guy you know he's a young guy and he maybe saw it as a, a misguided but a sign of weakness if he was to change things up based on pressure he was receiving from external sources um but the you know the rest is history and it seems as though oddly enough tim sherwood's done an admirable job for us thus far but it seemed um we were saying before we started recording with you guys that this is going to be probably aside for Arsenal in the cup this is his first big test really um I mean how did that bemuse you at all as as outsiders as as bringing in Tim Sherwood yeah uh it bemused me a little bit I think I think I mean get put aside for the fact that he's you know actually unqualified in the UEFA sense (laughs) (laughs) which I think is a bit weird myself but I understand the emergency nature of it I think it it just seems like a bubble which is going to burst if that makes sense completely Um, it's it's all very well he's got he had a couple of good results like you say you know he's got um, I think I'm right in saying you've got quite quite the run of fixtures coming up in the next month or so haven't you yeah I think (laughs) And I also think you've, unfortunate enough, to have caught us probably playing away at the exact worst time of the season for it, when we've started to pick up points away from home quite regularly. Um, but yeah, it just—it seems like he's going to crash and burn, from my perspective. I don't I, know about Rob, but I found it—I re- found it really odd. I mean, I find his interviews bizarre for a start. Um, he looks unqualified as well as actually being unqualified and I agree with that I just think I agree with him completely I just think it's a matter of time before that comes crashing down I mean I may be wrong I may be wrong but I found it a really odd appointment but just going back to your Neil Ashton thing just for a second I was in the Villash Boas um, press conference after that game and it was clear to every single person in there every single right thinking person in there that AVB did not try and deflect blame onto other people. He completely accepted responsibility for that result. And for Neil Ashton to then write a piece that suggested otherwise was bang out of order. And that's why I actually disagree with you about whether he was right or wrong to take him on about it. I think he was absolutely right. And I actually think that it's about time that um, people did that a little bit more because I think the press sometimes think they can just pretty much get away with anything and that the the real professionals, such as the managers and the players, they have to play along with that. Uh, and AVB snapped and decided, actually, no, I'm not going to accept that. And I welcomed it and thought it was uh, quite something. I really enjoyed it. <clears throat> he's, he's, he's an odd little man, Neil Ashton. The, <laughs> the, the way that he focused on him in particular. I don't know if maybe his girlfriend once said she thought AVB was attractive or something, but whatever it was, he, 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 you know, for him to even try and claim that it wasn't anything personal is, is, is for want of a better word, poppycock. I'm going to say poppycock. I think that's an undervalued word <laughs> nowadays. Neil Ashton writes for the Daily Mail and he was taking a pop at a foreign national, a young, intelligent foreign national working on in the British Isles. I think it falls in quite nicely with his peer. Yeah, you make a you make a, a, a decent but controversial point there, Raj. Um, 
I, I won't say allegedly because we all know the Daily Mail is a shit rag. Um, <laughs> speaking of which, as well, we it's it's a no, it's a very. I was going to say we're going to there's Stan Collymore as well that's come out today that kind of typifies the way the British press like to turn a story on its head. Um, but I think that's a, a whole other matter entirely. Um, how we'll, we'll talk a bit more about the game that we're playing. Um, a bit later on in the show, guys. But how's your how's your season going so far? I mean, obviously we know that you're you're doing very well, but it's it's been stuttering, hasn't it? Well, we struggled a little bit away from home at the beginning, but um, it's been. I mean, we're on an eighteen match unbeaten run, which is four short of our sixty seven year old record of twenty two. Uh, and out of those 18, I think we've only drawn two. So we're absolutely flying. I've never seen us on a run like this. I've never seen us play football like this. And to, to, I mean, this season it's so far has been the best season I've ever witnessed. So that that would be my my assessment. And I'm pretty sure Alex will say the same. Uh, yeah, I completely agree with that, of course. I mean, yeah, the last two months it's just been incredible. You know, every time you've watch a game, look at the results, it's just something better than the week before. And for me, the highlight was, of course, the away match at Bayern Munich, where we kind of turned that around and won without quite a lot of first-teamers, and I just was amazed. That was pretty special, wasn't it? Oh, yeah. I, just, I couldn't believe what I was seeing. And it's it's not really sunk in yet, but I'll have to wait till Barca to see if we can keep it up. I no, I, I, I think you guys are going to do Barca. I really do. <laughs> Oh, I don't know about that. I, don't, I think I think they're. I don't think they're as special as they were. No, no, they're not. They're not as special as they were. The kind of the height of the Guardiola era, sort of 2011. Yeah, they're not. They're not at that level. But I think they quite rightly start as favourites, and I don't actually fancy us over the two legs. But I agree with Alex as well. Again, that that away game in Munich was the highlight because obviously expectations were low. Anyway, because they'd battered us the first time round. And then when we all saw the team sheet and uh, Pellegrini had rotated everybody, I remember, <laughs> I remember a couple of people tweeting, what's the record uh, defeat in Europe? You know, people were getting the record books out in anticipation of a hiding. And then obviously we go behind really early on and we're playing pretty poorly. And the turnaround from that was just unbelievable. I mean, I've never seen a right-back come on and change the game, but that's exactly what happened. Micah Richards had to go off. We brought Pablo Zabaleta on, and all of a sudden we were completely in control. And, I mean, Silva that night as well was just outstanding. He's having a good season, isn't he? Oh, he's been fantastic. I mean, just what a player. He's he's our most important player. We've had some good moments from him the last three years, but this year he's just stepped up again. Yeah. And it's, he, you know, we, we've obviously had the pass in the 6 1 against Man United and a few other equally special moments, but he's just controlling the team this year. Yeah. He's just, he's sat just behind our incredible strike force and he's he's just been doing everything. It's been incredible to see. Yeah. The, the, the horrible thing is, though, Arsenal don't seem to be, they don't seem to be going away. Um, I think quite a lot of people felt that they would have at least started to crumble a bit by now, but I think they're going to run you all the way, aren't they? Well, we'll get them in the end. I mean, I looked at the... I think at the start of December, there was six points clear, and now, obviously, they're only one point. So we've we've cut it by five 
Um, well, we cut it by five in the space of a month, actually, because we, we were down to a point um, before the turn of the year. So I think it's a matter of time. I think we deserve it as well. I don't say this arrogantly because I don't think you can find an arrogant city fan. I think it's really difficult given our recent history. I don't say arrogantly at all. I say it purely because I th- genuinely think we have got the best team and we've played the best football, and I think we deserve to be top. It's hard to argue the table doesn't lie and all those kind of things, but eventually I think we're going to keep you know, plugging away these results and we'll end up going top of the table. That's my prediction anyway. Yeah, yeah I think like given that your, your biggest rivals are Chelsea, and when you just look at the two squads, like Chelsea, don't get me wrong, have got a fantastic team, but you, you do edge it. Well, they haven't got a striker, have they? That's the problem. They don't, have a, they don't have a really good striker and we've got three who are scoring goals. Um, and I think that could end up being the difference between us and Chelsea, to be honest. So speak, speaking about your, your, your strikers, now, Alvaro Negredo, he's, I've just got to say quickly, he's not the beast. Sandro is the beast, right? I'm just, <laughs> just chucking it out there now. He's still, he's still scary and looks like a thinner, more athletic version of me, um, I've been told. Um <laughs> However, Fat Negredo is what I've actually been called, so that's that's nice. Um, I wish, to be honest. Um, but he's the, the lad's doing well. The, the lad's doing really, really well. I mean, he was a player that I think we spoke about it previously. Rob, we probably did. He was a player that we were linked to heavily, um, and quite a few people seem to think that we'd gotten the better deal in getting Soldado this summer than you had with Negredo. Because, uh, I mean, they've, they've been comparable throughout their entire careers, really. But how wrong that's starting to look, <laughs> to be honest. Yeah. I mean, Alex wrote a really good piece about this. So I'll probably let Alex start start this answer. Fire away, Alex. Go for it, mate. Yeah. Um, I've obviously, after I've said, wrote quite a long, long thing about him because I've been extremely impressed with him this year. Um, I think the, the most impressive things about him are the most obvious ones, the way he's just... He just kind of arrived like a fully formed Premier League player. Uh, he's got a couple of hat-tricks this year already. Was he on 23 goals? I think he's on already for the season. That's not bad. Um, I saw something today as well. He's, you know, the, this season he's scored the most club goals behind Ronaldo and someone else, which I think is just... Uh, no, the most goals, all, including internationals, behind Ronaldo and someone else, which I think is very impressed. Yeah, bloody hell, yeah. I didn't know. Was... And, um, I think my favourite... He's done. He's done very well. But um, I think my favourite thing about him is he just looks really cool. Yeah. Everything he does just looks cool. Like you know the way he turns with the ball and little passes with the outside of his foot. I was about ten metres away from him when he did that outside the boot cross against Fulham, and it was just astounding. I didn't realise people could do that with a football. It's it's almost like because he he had that again. I, I I guess going back to your early form, but he looked quite patchy at the start, and there were a few people sort of thinking mm, he, he looks like he could be a bit of a dud. Um, but it, it suddenly looked like he had like that 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 period of about two or three games when he was suddenly just like, you know what, I'm going to man the fuck up and I'm just going to go for it. I'm just going to do this. And now he just looks so sure of himself. That I think that's one of the biggest things. Like, he's obviously a very talented footballer, but most of all, what stands out for me is just how how direct he is and how just unintimidated he appears by the league. He just seems to be just so sure of himself and just knows yeah I'm 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 good I can do this like I'm I'm going to go out. which is a stark contrast to Roberto Soldado who as much as people can can write the lad off he's he's a talented footballer and we've seen it in 
flashes, but he strikes me as almost like how Fernando Torres has been at Chelsea in that every time he gets a sight of goal, he seems to shit himself, essentially. Mm. Yeah, um, I, I completely agree with you what you're saying, actually. I think I think the turning point was when the grade I realised that he could bully almost all the defenders in the Premier League. Yeah. Um, I think he was kind of testing it out and then he just realised one day and he's not looked back. And I think, like you say, the contrast with Soldado is quite stark in that respect. He's, uh, from what I've seen him this year, he, he, do, he doesn't look intimidated as such. He just he doesn't look like he's going to, well, bully people and get past them and put the goals in, which I, th- I think is, is the most obvious contrast, really. Unfortunately for you guys. <laughs> I mean, Raji, what, what do you make of, of Soldado at the moment? Because there's, there's one argument that, because I, I personally think Soldado... For example, in a team like Chelsea, Chelsea who seem to make untold amount of chances, um, who are crying out for that just direct striker, someone like Sardana, I think he'd flourish there. Um, I mean, do you, do you think it's still a case that he's not getting the service at Spurs or do you think he, he could be working harder? I mean, do you think, for example, Soldado would be doing similar to what Negredo is doing now at City were he at City? Um. I think he'd probably score more goals at City just because they, they've got a more capable supporting cast. I think that's that earlier on in the season, that was Soldado's main problem was that because we'd bought so many players that were to play in behind him and being the main creative talent, we had, you know, the young players, Holtby, Eriksson, Lamella, and, and they were they were all still getting used to the pace of the league and still the ones that we counted on the most to make the goals and, we ended up playing players like Townsend instead, who whose you know assist stats aren't very good. He, he struggled to get goals apart from penalties. Um, but were he to play for a team who were more capable in, in terms of getting the ball to him in the areas in which he wanted, he'll put them away. I mean, it's only of late that he started to actually get half chances and then miss them, and that's probably just because he's he's still getting used to the pace of the league and he's he's still getting used to actually getting chances because um, he's not had much to go off earlier on in the league. He's, he's not the type of striker that will that'll drop back and do the hard yards and run channels as much as somebody like Adi Bayar is currently doing because that's just not his game. That's that's not what he was bought for necessarily. But um, I don't think there's any problem with him as yet. With with strikers especially, more than, more than any other players in the pack, it does take them slightly longer just to get the right in when they're in the Premier League. Um, if you look at the one that I always compare him to a little, little bit more is, is Olivier Giroud at Arsenal. Um, he's he's one of their most important players this season purely because they don't have anyone else to play in that position of of any comparable quality. Last season he would he was in no way as good as he'd been this season just because he wasn't used to it. But because he's had that year under his belt, he's had that pre-season where he's he's able to focus on what he needs to be able to do to to become a Premier League striker of decent quality. I still think he's, he's shy, he's Giroud. I really do. He's 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 better than you probably think he is. <laughs> <laughs> he's, he's not shy. He's not shy. I might be being biased, you know. <laughs> it, it might it wouldn't be the first time. I mean. He he scored especially earlier on this season. He was he was the one that was getting Arsenal's goals before you know Aaron Ramsey went on that run, and he's been there. He was one of their most consistent performers at the start of the season. Oh, is, is that Aaron Ramsey well. the best player in the world? Isn't it? <laughs> that's they, that's they Aaron Ramsey the best player in the world. Yeah. yeah. 
We're not getting carried away or anything, but <laughs> no. Um, but yeah, I mean, if I was to compare it, I think that'd be the the direct comparison. I think he will come good because I think he just is that classy of a player. Obviously, it's not been ideal, and he, he'd want to have done more. But I mean, if you just look at some of the goals he has scored when he's when he's played, I mean that. That Aston Villa goal in the Premier League, the second one where he's just waited on someone's shoulder, and the one time, you know, Paulinho got a, a through ball of some quality to him. He, he didn't even look at the goal when he shot. He just took one touch and it was out of his feet, and it was, it was past Guzan before he'd even known where where he was going to put it. And that's the type of striker he is, just just snatching at those, and he's not had much to go off. So I think that's why Adebayor's done much better because the way in which you're playing is much more suiting of him. Um, I, I, I've got to say on, on that note, um, Rob and Alex, that's, that's one thing we've got to thank you guys for is after all the six in the city photoshops we received from the Arsenal fans, seeing you <laughs> manage to <laughs> put six away against them a couple of weeks later, thus meaning we could return the six in the city uh, photoshops was very nice. It was a good feeling that. And I think that, that, that should probably give Spurs fans a bit of perspective as well in the respect that Arsenal are a team that are seen as being miles ahead of us again this season. Um, and yeah, they scored two against you and the game probably wasn't as one-sided as the scoreline would suggest. However, you still put six goals past them. Yeah, well, that's that's kind of the point I was trying to make at the beginning, which is when you were asking me, did that result against you represent something majorly wrong at Tottenham? I think what I was trying to say was the answer is no, because when when we play well at home, we seemed to be able to score at will. And the Arsenal game was actually the classic example because there was a moment, I think it went to 3-2 maybe or something at one stage. And there was a moment and, I, and the fans were sort of, you know, a little bit nervy. And we just went up the other end and Silver scored. And it just felt like we could switch it on and off whenever, we, you know, we, we could go up the other end and score a goal whenever we needed. Um, so, yeah, I think um, <clears throat> we are capable of doing that to teams. And, and yeah, the Arsenal fans tried to argue afterwards that they were, you know, in with a chance of winning that game. They were never going to win that game. Oh, there, and there was that whole we was robbed narrative to it as well, which was just... I don't know, They're weird. quite good at that, though, the Arsenal fans, aren't they? I, didn't, I haven't actually realised it with that set of supporters until this year, that they are really fucking deluded at times. Oh, it's they like, love it. Yeah, it's unbelievable. I mean, I wouldn't put them on the Liverpool level yet. <laughs> <laughs> that, that's a special type of delusion. That's, that. that's a special breed, that. But the Arsenal ones, honestly, I don't think I'd ever recognised it before this season. And they're a, they're weird. You know, they really are. <laughs> I mean, the thing is, and this isn't being biased, the, the, the <clears throat> narrative that they created last year that Theo Walcott was, in fact, a better player than Gareth Bale was just... It was one of those things where it's like, look, I'm, I'm not even going to take this into a whole Spurs-Arsenal debate. I'm just, I'm not entering this. That It's just... It's a laughable thing to say. Just... I can tell you where that comes from, though. That comes from the fact that he gets... People are too far the other way about Walcott. I mean, I remember before... Yeah. Okay, I remember yeah. before he signed his £100,000 a week contract last year, there was, like, people saying he shouldn't have been offered that deal and Arsenal should have let him go. And I was tweeting, like, now that guy, you know, he's worth hundred grand a week and you don't want him to go on a free to somewhere else. And I think he's proved that since. So I think there's some kind of mentality, maybe... Selling a little or a lot? 
Shopify helps you do your thing however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage. All the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is there to help you grow. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Get a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash work. Shopify.com slash work. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. Where they see him getting overly criticised and feel that they have to over-defend him. But yeah, to say he's as good as Bale is just... Well, better than. Oh, better than. That's absolutely stupid, yeah. He is, I I agree with you there. He is is still a good player. He shouldn't sort of let it blinky that, you know, he's not better than probably, well, arguably one of the best players in the world. Um, We'll go on to this game. Um, Because we've we've, we've touched on Sherwood, as it were. Um, do Do you see us as a... In a way, any anything resembling formidable at the moment because we, we've been in decent form. Um, do, do, do you know? Do you, do you think you're going to turn up and just tonk us again? <laughs> I don't know. I think another six nil is probably probably a bit bit too optimistic. I mean, I was at the lane last year for the game, and that was I think I think depressing is probably probably about the word I'd use for that. Um, I, I wouldn't expect the same result as last year. I think we'll win, uh, but it won't be six nil. I don't think because, like we were saying earlier, I think you're probably probably better right now, and you've got more confidence right now than you've had at any point in the season so far. Yeah. So I'm not going to count my chickens quite yet. On that I, one. I, I don't know if you guys are aware as our well, chances are we could have Vatonga and Sandro back as well for the game. Mm, that's so, and Polinia. Oh, and as well. There you go. Well, they're all important players, <laughs> and I, th- I think if you're asking any City fan if they're confident of being Spurs, any City fan over the age of about five. If they're confident, if they're confident of beating Spurs, the answer's probably going to be no because we still haven't quite got rid of the scars from the days where you guys just used to beat us every single time we played. Oh, I don't yeah. know. Six six nil must have helped no, that. It's, it, it's helped. It's helped. I'm not going to lie, but it's just not gone. And especially with that little reminder we got last year in the game that Alex is remember uh, just uh, reminiscing about then. Um, <laughs> you know, we're not. No, I would never ever go to White Hart Lane thinking we've got this one in the bag. That's interesting. I mean, how do, how do you see you yourselves lining up at the moment? Because I've seen quite a few people say recently that you you play a... Because a, a, a lot of what Show is getting criticised for is this playing 4-4-2. Um, and I've seen quite a few people say, well, Man City play 4-4-2 and it works for them. Do you actually play 4-4-2? Yeah, well, it's 4-2-2-2. So we play, yeah, I know, it is odd. <laughs> it, 
it is very odd, but I'll tell you now. When no, that... the, the reason I'm laughing is because I, I was quite adamant that um, Sherwood's formation that he was using before wasn't sustainable. And when I was told that Manchester City play 4-4-2 in the flat formation, um, as it was pointed out to me, I was adamant that that was not the case in any fashion. And <laughs> the 4-2-2-2 is something that I was quite um, I was quite ponsily putting out there yeah. um, to, to fellow Spurs fans. And it was something that you just fucking made that up. There's, there's, that's not a formation. And to hear you say it yourself as a, as a variation on what they were playing is, is quite it's quite nice, really. Well, we play 4-2-2-2. It's what he played at Villarreal as well. It's, it's, yeah. his, it's his favourite formation. I mean... There's been moments in games where we've gone to the old Mancini formation of 4-2-3-1, which a lot of other clubs are still playing in the league. But, I mean, for 90... I'd say 98% of this season, we've been playing 4-2-2-2. And you have Yaya and Fernandino as your two. And then you've got two wingers playing high and very close to the two strikers up front. I mean, it's extremely attacking. But what I was going to say was, when that system works and you've got the players to play it, it's very, very difficult to defend against. And even if you, well, as we've seen a few times, sides can score a couple, but the likelihood is that we're probably going to outscore them. And that's generally how the season has gone, really. Okay, well, I'll, I'll take you to a couple of listener questions. Um, I thought your listener questions were great, by the way. I've got. A f- uh, yeah, I'm sure you did. <laughs> I've got them here, so yeah, I think you know. I'd love to go through them. You go. Oh, well, I, we we picked out some. Um, <laughs> probably some of the, the the lesser. I think one of them was where were you when you were shit, wasn't it? Which I, I didn't think was fair because in the last one you actually told us of your time supporting City for many years. So you know, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. That's, that's not really a fair one. But the Spurs brain. We'll, we'll start with a constructive one at least. The Spurs brain um, says after his recent good run of form. Has your opinion of Adebayor changed at all since you were last on Royal I knew Roast? You were going to pick this one. I knew it. Yeah. But, yeah. The answer to that is no, and the reason is is because last time I made it clear, didn't I, that he is one of those players who. Yeah. It's not a surprise when he plays well. I'm not saying this guy hasn't got attributes. I've seen him. I told. I mentioned last time when he played for Arsenal, and he absolutely bullied. Ferdinand and Vidic in a way that genuinely I've never seen any other player do other than maybe Torres used to have this thing with Vidic where he'd just absolutely kill him for 90 minutes but generally nobody has given those two a more difficult time than Adebayor so I am fully aware of his capability my point was if I was ever going to sign a striker he would not be on my hit list that I drew up and the reasons are he's a troublesome character I don't like his attitude and he plays in fits and starts and I hate that phrase on his day mm. for any player and I think that Adebayor is a classic on his day striker on his day he's good but it's the 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 inference when you say on his day is that he has days where it's not his day and what and what use are those players really you know I think how about um another player that you were um, quite critical of last time, Edin Dzeko, who scored 16 yeah. goals this season. What about him? Is your opinion of him changed at all? Yeah, well, I tell you, my opinion of him has changed in the last four weeks. Not the goal, because as I said last time, he'll always score goals. Just does. His minutes to goal ratio is, I'm not checked, but he's probably up there with the best in the history of the Premier League. I'm, I'm sure. <laughs> probably is, but I think, and Alex will definitely back me up on this, Negredo has come in and showed us all the things that are actually wrong with Dzeko, and that is that 
take his goals away and he doesn't offer anything. Whereas if you if you took Negredo's goals away this year, you would still have a hell of a player, and that's because he bullies play defenders. He drops off, picks up the ball deep. He can play as a number nine. He runs the channels. He tackles. Yeah. He's just he, he does more. I've got to say, Rob, please don't ever stop criticising Jacko because I do love seeing your sporadic Twitter updates where you're saying, oh, the, where you just give us those little updates as to what the trolls are saying about you now because you've because yeah. you've said you don't like Jacko. <laughs> yeah, the comments section on the Bleacher Report website <laughs> is a very, very strange place. It's uh, just the internet in general, isn't it? Like, uh, Yeah, and the Jacko does have this fan club and... Uh, so, yeah, no, I'll keep you updated with uh, the Bosnian hate that comes my way. I was going to say, just don't don't, don't take any holidays to Bosnia, mate, because uh, there's a shallow grave of your name on it, I think. Well, Alex, please back me yeah, up. Yeah, I, I was about to say, I just want to add one thing to this, Jacko. Uh, I've come across quite a lot of people who say, you know, it's, it's as if City's not giving him a chance this year, and I just wanted to point out that's not not true at all because he started the season as Pellegrini's first choice after you know a summer of uh, Pellegrini saying oh I've got faith in you I believe in you and all this kind of stuff and then it was shown very clearly over the first couple of games when the grey dog was given 20 minutes half an hour here or there and he you know he showed more positive action than Jekyll had in the previous hour and the, when he took his chance he never looked back really and uh as Rob says, Jekyll will always score goals. Um, I mean, like like a game at Lane a couple of years ago, which unfortunately I wasn't at when he scored four. He'll do that occasionally. He'll he'll score the occasional goal, which makes you sit up and kind of think, "Wow, you're you're a proper player." But then, if you watch the bits that aren't on match of the day, when he, his first touch involves the ball bouncing five meters off his shin towards your own goal and falling over or turning with the ball directly into three other players. And it, it just gets very depressing after a while. Sounds a bit like Michael Dawson. <laughs> uh, um, on that point, we've got, we've got another one from Rich Arrowsmith who asks, um, do you think you could get away with playing Jekko, Aguero and Negredo? No. 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 Not at all. That's a, that's a non-starter, surely. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> You, sorry, guys, I'm out. Is that is that what it is? Just uh, straight that, up. It's just well, who, who, surely the real question is who would you drop in favour of the third striker? Silva, Nasri, Torre, Navas at the moment, the form he's in. Even Fernandinho is starting to look really very good for you as well. Fernandinho, Fernandinho's been our best player this year. Made no mistake. Silva would have been, but he's had a couple of periods where he's missed big chunks. Uh, and Aguero has quite rightly taken the plaudits because he's been scoring great goals. But I think you ask the majority of City fans who's giving you the most minute to minute throughout the season. Fernandinho would be the answer on most people because he's just been an absolute revelation. After a tricky first couple of games, he's just, he's, he's our first choice. You know, he's one of the first names on the team sheet. There's no two ways about that now. He's been incredible. My only worry with him this year is he's had an awful lot of minutes and uh, he's not had very many games off at the moment. And that might become a little bit of a problem later in the season, especially if we stay in the Champions League and we push forward in the FA Cup a bit. Yeah. He looks like he could run forever. He's got that kind of strange energy, which looks like he could, he'll could he never get tired, but you know he will. It's almost like he's a professional athlete, eh? <laughs> yeah, almost. But you know, a lot of these so-called professional athletes we see are whinging about playing two games in a week. Yeah, it's nice, it's nice to see one who doesn't. But. 
it, it, it makes me laugh when with the, 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 the Nigel De Jong, um, the myth of, of Nigel De Jong that still persists, even now that we've got this guy who shows you exactly why De Jong was let go, because he's got, whereas De Jong was a two-dimensional um, number four, you've got this guy who can pretty much do anything that a midfielder needs to do, and yet still... You get the odd City fan here and there who are kind of pining for for the the return of Nigel De Jong and I don't know. Yeah, uh, I had one having a go at me on on Twitter the other day because I, I wasn't. He, he just couldn't understand why I, I didn't think Nigel De Jong was the greatest ever midfielder ever. You know? it was, yeah, we, I mean, we had a similar thing with Wilson Palacios ourselves, you know. In that, well, a lot of people were like, yeah, he, he's the sergeant. He gets stuck in. He does this. He does that. But it's like, but. That's all he does, you know. He just gets skinned all the time now, and he 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 get he he'll track back thirty yards, make a great tackle, and then give the ball away straight away. You know, De Jong was great. De Jong was a great player. There's no two ways about it. But there was a, there was a lot of context there that um, the City fans airbrush out, and the context was he had a year left on his deal. He was earning around a hundred thousand pounds a week, yet was not starting. The year we won the title which he then left the summer after. I think he had started 12 games or something. So he wasn't a first team, you know, he wasn't a first 11 player. In an ideal world where wages don't matter, money didn't matter, um, unhappy players and all that kind of stuff doesn't matter. Yeah, I would have kept Nigel De Jong. He was, the players seemed to love him. The fans certainly loved him. He'd come on and he was nobody better at that. You know, there's that thin area of a pitch that a number four kind of patrols. There's not many better at doing it than him. But the bottom line was he didn't pass forward. He couldn't run very far. He wasn't starting for the club. He was on big wages and he had a year left. That's the thing. When when that thin area of the pitch that he's so good at patrolling, when that that total is, is less than a fifth of the pitch, then that's not ideal. Yeah, <laughs> you know, especially when we're going for these fast transition counter attacks, whatever they're being called these days, it's it's all very well having someone who does it on the way on defence, but if you can't go forward as well, it doesn't work. I don't think Nigel De Jong could play in the current side, and that's been completely honest. I like him, I like the guy, and he was a total hundred percent pro and all that kind of stuff that you really look for in players, but he was just very limited in what he could do. And his wages were very, very high. And his contract was up. So, you know, sometimes you just have to look at it and say it's right to let this guy go. But the reason that the myth grew around him is because he left. And then all of a sudden, we weren't very good anymore. And that was more to do with Mancini losing the plot and signing a load of shit players. But the idiot fans kind of put two and two together and decided that it was because Nigel De Jong was now at AC Milan that was the reason we were no longer any good. Yeah, I mean, don't get us wrong, Jack and Raj. I mean, there are City fans today who would sign him on a five-year contract right now. And and that's just <laughs> upsetting. It's just, that, yeah, they exist. It's strange, but they're, they're real. Good, good player, but had to go and it was the right time to go. And then, unfortunately for, for us, the two months after the summer where we were shit was the two months where the myth around him really, really exploded to the point where genuinely there were City fans who were pinpointing all of our problems on the decision to let this guy who patrolled a very, very narrow strip of turf. That that was the reason. 
that was supposedly the reason. So that that was quite annoying and frustrating. Don't, don't think I didn't pick up on your audible laughter as well when you when I when I tried to liken it to Orson Palacios. Yeah, no, as well. Sorry, that's that's, <laughs> no, that's fair good. enough. That's that's, that's yeah, fair yeah. enough. You know, I'll, I'll let you have that one, mate. Um, we've had one from Harney um, Mike um, at Harney underscore. He just says, "Can you take it easy on us this time?" <laughs> no, I don't think you will, will you? Um, right, we've um, not at not so worthy asks what is City's weak point, and then in brackets after point he's put an S. So he's maybe suggesting you have more than one weak point. And who would you realistically buy to fix it? What in a night? Realistically, right? Okay. Well, I'll let Alex go because I've got a couple of names in my head. But have you, Alex? What do you think? Yeah. Okay. I think the obvious place to start. I mean, Kolarov has improved this year. Uh, Clichy's gone downhill, but even with Kolarov's improvement, I think that left back spot is a bit of a problem. Totally agree. Uh, you have Ben Morrissey if you want. <laughs> is he still at QPR? I, good. I hope he's rotting there. Yeah, I think he is. But... <laughs> um, I, I realistically fix it. I don't know. Everyone talks about players like Luke Shaw, don't they? And I don't know. Is, is Contral going free at the moment? Is he even any good anymore? I, I don't know. I'll get into realistically fix it. I think that's half the problem, isn't it, really? Yeah. I think Collier and Clichy are just good enough that there's not an urgent need to fix it most of the time. But I think when you come up against a really top right winger, then that need suddenly becomes very urgent. But unfortunately, then that's in the middle of the game and you can't buy someone in the middle of the game. Yeah, I couldn't agree more with everything you've just said. We that is a position that I would strengthen, but it's not crying out for it. And there is a dearth of quality left backs in Europe anyway, certainly to my knowledge. So I wouldn't really know um, who who to name. I also think we need another centre half, Alex. I don't know what you think. Uh, Yeah, I think so too. I mean. I'm more of a fan of Demichelis than most City fans. I think he gets a lot of unfair criticism. Um, I think his strong points, his heading ability, his position, the fact that he shouts at everyone uh, and actually organises things. I think they're all kind of lost in the the occasional hospital pass he plays um, and his kind of quite stunning lack of pace a lot of the time as well. It's almost quite funny to watch sometimes when he can't catch catch up to someone because it's just so. So you're obvious. both happy with the goalkeeping situation then? Um, well, it's certainly improved since the last time I spoke yeah, yeah. to you because the the taking heart out of the firing line hasn't returned him to the form of 18 months two years ago, but it's certainly fixed what was a, a massive problem for us. I mean, you look at the away results that we were referring to earlier, where we kind of struggled a little bit early on, and without wanting to be unkind, much of that can be attributed to um, individual errors from Joe Hart. And he seems to have sorted that out. So I don't know. I'm prepared with the goalkeeping situation. I'm prepared to kind of wait until the end of the season and then sort of look at it again. But I think, I, again, I agree with everything Alex just said about Dimi Kayla's. I think that he's getting unfair stick. He reads the game brilliantly and his heading ability is phenomenal he's the best defenses header of the ball at the club by a mile um the lack of pace is funny but it doesn't come in to the mix that often because i think he's one step ahead through being able to see and read the game and what's going on the only other thing i would add 
is I think we're a little bit thin on the ground in centre midfield in terms of we've got two. Absolutely, for me, they're the best in the league as a partnership, Fernandinho and Yaya Toure. But after that, we are struggling because he doesn't seem to play Milner there very often. He prefers to play Milner out wide. Javi Garcia is the guy who's coming in all the time. He's not fantastic. I like him and his form's improved a lot and I think he does a job. But I also think that this league and this country doesn't suit him because of his lack of pace. And Rodwell can't stay fit. So I think that if I playing fantasy football a little bit here, I'd love us to sign Kabai because he kind of is the hybrid between Yaya and Fernandinho anyway. I think that that range of passing and that silky touch and the way he just sits deep and kind of dictates everything, I think we could really utilise that well. But obviously whether he had come to us and not be a guaranteed start is another thing, but it's just something I've thought about. Just one last quick question, actually. We we had one from uh, Nikhil Saglani, who's big t- big big fan of the show. Um, he's a he's a very good writer as well. So any Spurs fans, you should check out some of Nikhil's stuff. Um, but he has put to us: Are there any players from the Spurs squad that you you welcome at City? Sandro. Yeah, to fill that problem, Rob was just saying about a minute ago. Yeah, Sandro. Would you take Loris? No, um, yeah, I would, to be honest. I would. To start? Yeah. <laughs> oh, Alex, what do you reckon? Oh, cheers, Bob. Um, <laughs> I'll mix it in with the question about goalkeepers for a minute ago. I think it's very clear we need a different backup goalkeeper. Um, Han Tillemon was just, he was all right but he was very clear he was going to let in an awful lot of goals at some point. Um, but whether whether Loris would be happy to come to us and sit on the bench, I mean, he'd win trophies and stuff, which is nice, I suppose. But, so you wouldn't start him? Uh, I, I wouldn't right now. I think, I think I'd give Joe Hart, because as Rob said, he's, he's slowly getting back into form. And I think if we were to buy in someone like Loris now, it'd just destroy Joe Hart's confidence probably forever. Um, and it would just be a kind of slow, tragic descent, which I think is a bit harsh. On, I think on, if, on if, to base it, right, if I was to answer it and say, well, who has been the best over the last two years out of those two, then I would be saying, yes, I'll take Lloris hands down because he's been, you know, he's he's been far, far superior to Joe Hart over, say, the last two years. But obviously as a City fan who remembers the Joe Hart of old, there is something inside that wants to see whether that can be returned. And yeah, two or three months ago, I was at the point where I was very close to giving up because he'd just completely collapsed. But since he's come back, there are signs of, you know, green shoots of recovery and maybe returning this guy to what he once was. So that's why this hesitation there, if you know what I mean, that's the con- That's the, the context there is that, you know, the, the, I've got memories of an absolutely a goalkeeper who looked unbeatable when he was at his best, Joe Hart. And I just kind of want to see whether we can get that back, you know. But I think most neutrals would say, yeah, we'll take the risk because, you know, he's been a lot better over the last couple of years, hasn't he? So, you know. Yeah. I may have um, one question for myself. Um, Rob knows how much I enjoy looking at Manchester City off the field. <laughs> and uh, um, In the last couple of days, it's gone through that you've, essentially bought a football club in Australia as a folly. 
um, similarly as you did with the, the team in New York. And you're going to, I think they're called Melbourne Heart, aren't they? It sounds like a hospital. And you're going to yeah. rename it Melbourne City. I mean, yeah. it sounds like a, a growing thing where you're going to end up having little city franchises across the globe. Um, what, what's that all about? Is that is that some sort of extension of, of brand Manchester City or is it? Is it feeder clubs? What's what's that all about? I think a little bit of both. I spoke to somebody about this in, at the club the other day and the way it was explained to me was initially this idea was purely commercial. Um, so there are kind of three revenue streams for a club, which is match day revenue, um, television, television, revenue and commercial now the commercial side is the only one of those three revenue streams which isn't finite so that's where clubs put all their efforts and originally yeah we were we, we did the new york thing to try and grow city's name in america yeah but i think the club have actually realize that there's other benefits that are coming from that and it's things like sharing scouts sharing information sharing players even um and they might even be i mean it was put to me there might be a possibility of a player thinking oh well i might go to city when i'm 27 because when my contract is up there at 32 i'll then get a move to the mls and be able to play for new york city more you know that kind of thing so i think the the club I've realised as they've gone down what was initially just a commercial opportunity, they've realised that actually there's quite a few benefits here. Uh, and that, to me, is why... And, and this club, has it cost us £6.6 million or something to buy Melbourne? Uh, you know, I mean, I don't know. I, I don't understand it very well. I must pocket have... change for your owners, really, that, isn't it? It is, really, yeah. And, and for me, somebody who's just been obsessed with Manchester City from Moss side and now um now the the Etihad stadium since I was 10 yeah I'm not asked about it but at the same time when I try and sit down and think about it there probably are reasons that the club are, are you know are thinking this is a good idea and we are probably going to benefit from it in certain ways so I just think well why not you know let's let's see where it takes us and let's see what happens yeah I mean um when I first saw it, I thought that it might, it didn't worry me so much, but I think that the trend of which I could see it were going was, you know, you'd end up having a team in every continent, so you'd have some sort of Asian Indian franchise or more likely in China or Japan, you'd end up buying a club there in one of their think, leagues. And, I think we probably will. I mean, I've not heard that from anybody. I'm just doing what, exactly what you're doing, which yeah. is surmising. But I genuinely, that's what it's looking like to me. I mean, we've been and bought one in America, we've been and bought one in Australia. You can absolutely guarantee we're gonna we're gonna get another one somewhere i, I just I and then you'll have your just... own sort of self-contained scouting network all of which is under one roof so you, you kind of minimize the third parties and put a yeah put i think minimizing one. minimizing third parties is something that's very important to our club as well because what you've got to remember is when taxing shinawatra was in charge we had uh a guy called kia jarabchin who was basically leeching money off the club and was... Yeah, uh, the agent. Yeah, the agent who was responsible for signing Joe and whatnot. And he he was basically walking through the club every day, part of the fixtures and fittings, 
signing player, you know, pushing deals on our behalf, all that kind of thing, taking oh, yeah. mass, massive amount of money. And then when the shape came in and his team with Caldoun and everybody else on the board, they kind of said, well, actually, no, we don't want this guy involved. And that's when Brian Marwood came in and started to take over transfer activity. And that reduced the need for third. And our, our payments to agents went down and our need for super agents went down. So I think, yeah, our board, like the in-house self-contained thing. And if this can help keep third parties out in terms of sharing data, sharing information, sharing scouts, signing plays, whatever it might be, they will look on that as a really attractive prospect. I mean, I think that, that makes me feel more at ease about it. I remember last time, you, you probably remember me, I was a slightly more sceptical about the way in which Manchester City were run and the way in which you've grown. So I'm sure you were worried I'd bring up again, but I think I've contained myself fairly well. Um, just to... To, the one last point just for us to both enjoy for a moment is um, how funny it is to, to currently watch Manchester United because oh. if you watched them last night and I'm I'm 21 years old so when I was born Sir Alex had already had his feet under the table I've not known a time where he's not been at that club so for me to now see them in the state in which they are now is 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 you know strange to say the least. I mean that that game last night. I mean, what is it like for City fans to see them just just dwindling? Deeply funny, <laughs> deeply funny at the moment. It's not that they're dwindling; it's they're flailing around. That's that's the thing. And they're they're fans. They've got a lot of fans who are just losing the plot. As well, well. you can't feel any sympathy for them at all. Though you see them all in the stands, like getting so indignant and so like, what's going on here? You know, sort it out, Moist. You just think, oh, fuck off. You know, you've literally won everything. Or, or The whole time I've watched football, pretty much, for the past 20 fucking years, you have won everything. Just piss off and give someone else a chance. Like, I, I don't know. It's a sense of entitlement that Liverpool have as well that just, it, it frustrates me massively. It's like, welcome to being an actual football fan again, you know? Like, this is what it's like for everyone else that isn't Man United for the past 20 years. You lose games and it's not that fun. Yeah, I agree with that. And I mean, and the thing with United fans is they became a byproduct of their um, huge success was that they became extremely arrogant collectively. I'm not talking individually here. I know plenty of United fans who are very level-headed and grounded and nice and everything else. But as a as a whole, I've never known a more arrogant set of supporters. I was going to so, say, do they support FC United now? Or? A lot of them do. Yeah, you yeah. make a good point. I've got a good friend um, who I met through Twitter called Chris Taylor, who is at The Itch, who you should all follow because he's the best person on Twitter. And he is exactly that. He's one of those. He is a United fan from the past. But he's actually he's going to be on the FC United board next year, actually, if he gets voted in, which will be very exciting for him. But he is a classic example of of one of those who wasn't arrogant, wasn't a dickhead. And therefore, I don't actually like laughing at them too much. And the other point I was going to say is I don't like laughing because I actually feel sorry for David Moyes. And I know he's not very well liked. And I know a lot of the media guys who I work with who have been in the media a lot longer than me and have met him a few times, they really don't like him. But watching a guy on the sideline who is struggling as much as him at the minute 
is not actually that nice. It's uncomfortable, isn't it? It's very uncomfortable. It really is. But in terms of stepping back, remembering the shit I've had to take for the last 20 years from this arrogant bunch of United fans, and I will generalise them for a second, then yes, I am absolutely enjoying it more than you would imagine. I've got to say, though, if, if Juan Mata, if it comes to fruition, very, very good deal for him. Oh, it's an excellent deal. Excellent. He's a brilliant player. Can't really understand Chelsea's motives behind that, aside for potentially having first option on Rooney or something. Yeah, you make a good point. I think that they might actually be trying to put something like that in there. They must be. They must, like you say, they, to, to release a player of his quality to a rival, you, you then have room to kind of dictate something else uh, in, in your favour. So, yeah, I think, and then obviously it's quite clear that Mourinho is a big fan of Rooney. So, yeah, I can... I can see that being a possibility. Right, well, we, we've uh, we've we've had a lot of your evening tonight, lads. So I'll just end it on: what's the score going to be on Wednesday? It's Wednesday, isn't it, or is it Tuesday? This is how fucking professional I am. Wednesday night. Wednesday night. That's it. Wednesday night under the floodlights at White Hart Lane. What's the I score going to be? Uh, I'm going to go for. I think we. I think we're going to keep scoring. I think four-one to us. Ooh. Wow, Alex. I know. I know. I think Spurs might nick a cheeky goal, so I'm a 4 1. <laughs> oh, thanks for giving us something. That was very kind of you. That's all right. That's all right. No, I'm not that confident. Um, I'll go for 2 all. 2 all, I'll say. Yeah. Raji, what about you, mate? Um, I'd be happy with, you know, a score draw, 1 all, 2 all would be nice. Um, City do worry me at the moment, just the, the freedom in which they're playing. The fact that we do give the opposition a fair few cracks at goal. If you, I mean, if you watch Bonnie on the weekend, he was he was fantastic. And I mean, if you give him like, put Negredo in his position, he's, he's scoring a few more times. So I'm fairly worried, but um, I'll go for for one all. One all. Wow. One all. Um, I'm gonna. Risk being, uh, you'll like this one as well, Rob. Every time, not every time, but a few of the times I've predicted us to lose on this, I've been branded a disgrace by people on Twitter. <laughs> yeah, because apparently you're not allowed to be realistic. Um, no. No. But uh, I, I I predicted that we lose to Swansea and we ended up winning. And I was told by a couple of people to, pre- to predict that we'll lose again. So I'm going to go 3 1 City. <laughs> Yeah, but I do because I actually think we'll lose three one though. Not not because I'm in any way uh, superstitious. Um, but thanks so much for giving us your time, lads, and uh, good luck for the rest of the season. I hope you stop those horrible bastards down the road from us winning the title. Yeah, hope so. Thank you. Thanks for having us. Yeah, cheers. Not sorry, lads. Raji, Raji Baines, Raji. Raji Baines. So, what did you uh, what do you make of our city lads there, Raj? They were, he was they much were... nicer this time. I think. I, th- it's I think you his... were a bit nicer to him though this time as well, weren't you? Yeah, I was conscious of not upsetting him again. Although I, I noticed your your trolley tweet at the start when uh, before the show when we were asking for questions. I can't remember what it was that you wrote. You said something like financial pornography. Oh, yeah. or it was um, it was um, to um, that rich who, who tweeted. Is that question? I didn't copy him into it. I just did it straight from Mars. I just went. Uh, he went. Why are you so good? And I went. One financial doping. 
I say, I, I was almost going to send you a message, but like, oh, come on, mate, just save it. Like, they can still say I'm not, I'm not coming on it, but no, go. I didn't copy him into it on purpose. So I just oh, sent you, it did, you didn't copy. Oh, you, you bitch. Yeah, I, I did it behind the back. Yeah. Um, it's uh, it's gonna be a t- it's gonna be a tough game, though, isn't it, mate? Um, I, oh, I we're gonna get spanked. We're gonna get spanked. Yeah. Well, there you go. <laughs> I don't um, want to record it, but we're gonna get proper turned over. It, there still seems to be no no movements on the kapoo. There's uh, there's a bit of, a bit of constipation around the deal there <laughs> at the moment. Are we recording now? We are. Yeah. Are we? Oh, I didn't. Know. Yeah, no, no, it's it's, it's recording. It's all good. You haven't said anything controversial, mate. You haven't okay. you haven't aired any of your uh pro Quinell statements or anything. Oh, great. I've just put down my um white supremacist uh quote book that we were reading from earlier, so Oh, is that the I one did... you're borrowing off of me? Yeah, that's the one that you sent me in the post for Christmas on. So I'm, I'm glad that we've <laughs> with the post it note go back home on the front of it, so I'm glad that we've that didn't make it on air. But um Yeah. Where were we? Kapoo, yeah. He, he seems to be stuck somewhat. Um, he doesn't seem to be wanting to budge. He's not going. Um, it's. Uh, <laughs> I, I, I'm not going to steal your gag. You, you found something that, uh, that that's quite interesting around uh, Christian Eriksen, haven't you? Yeah, um, I was on Wikipedia earlier just before I, I write the the um, running order for the show. The the very loose script we go by. Um, to just make sure we don't forget too much. Um, although, as you can tell, we're not the most professional of outfits. And, what uh, do you mean? What do you mean? I mean the fact that about thirty seconds ago, I wasn't even aware that we were recording. <laughs> 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 um, but yeah, Christian Eriksen hometown in Denmark is called Middlefart. <laughs> there we go. It sounds like a, some sort of like sounds like a, a, a Roy Chubby Brown parody of Lord of the Rings, doesn't it? You know, like, <laughs> it's 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 almost as if someone's just edited his Wikipedia for our own amusement. They, they may well have done, to be honest with you. Yeah, so that's where he's from, Middlefart. But uh, from Middlefart to Kapoo. Um, I, I I actually had a Jason for for any of the listeners, and I'm sorry to say this, Rob and Alex. I had my own Jason Punchin moment um, towards the end. Right, you held the fort admirably there. I, I could hear you talking about Australia or something as yeah. I as I sat on the pan, but I couldn't help it, mate. Uh, I you know I've got back from work. You, you, I'm sure anyone that lives in London commutes into and out of the city, they know the feeling of you know commuting back, getting in the door. When you got evening plans, getting in the door, having your dinner, then going into what you've done, and you know you often get waylaid, and you don't have time to do important things such as go for an Etienne. But um, I've, uh, I, I, I quite like that actually. That's quite a nice way of saying, yeah, I'm just nipping off for an Etienne. I might start using that one. But, Sarum slang. Uh, yeah, I like that. Um, but yeah, I went for a poo in the in the pod. Not the first I just like to point out, yeah, that's not the first time you've done it, so I, I don't know why you're making... <laughs> this has happened, it's almost like a weekly occasion now where you get bored of the conversation. You send me a message to go, you can go for a little bit now, and uh, you toddle <laughs> off and uh, and relieve yourself. It's good that the, the microphone's not too close to the toilet, otherwise we could hear the odd splush from the uh, from the room next door. I put, I put it on mute all the time. But um, <laughs> what, have we, what, have, what have we become? Um... We, had, we we didn't really go into um, the matter thing too much. Um, just from a Spurs perspective, that's 
surely a death knell for our top four hopes. Manchester United. But I don't getting... think they're going to catch his last six points. Um, oh, six... I wouldn't be so sure, mate. We had 13 points on the Arsenal a couple of years ago. No, I, what I mean is in terms of catches, is I don't think they've got enough momentum to get up and over us in the same manner that some clubs have in the past. Um, Do you not think? No, not. Did you see him last night? Did Did you see him? I didn't, but one matter because he he he's going to be very special for them. And when they get Van Persie and Rooney, I don't back. know how man, I don't know how he's going to sign for them because they haven't got one good pen between them. <laughs> I like that. Although, did you see Phil Jones's penalty hitting that fella in the face in the crowd? Did you see Phil Jones's technique running up to the penalty? Because <laughs> I've seen rugby players with conversion techniques that aren't as good as that. He, he, he called went, he called it the Jason Punchin. I have you know. No, Jason Punchin actually hit the ball like a footballer because most people wouldn't be able to strike it in the manner he did. But Phil Jones looked like somebody who'd never played football before. It was like the Mars advert was done backwards. That's what <laughs> his penalty looked like. It was terrible. I mean, the fact that Fergie said that he could be one of their best ever players and then he takes a penalty like that is frankly laughable. Well, not going on so much about them, but in a similar trend, can you see us signing anyone now? I mean, the, there was a lot of talk coming out that Tim Sherwood has essentially just said all that we need is a British-based striker that can come in and score goals for us. I mean, arguably we're letting that go in Defoe, but we, we won't start that debate. Um, but who who can you really see that fits that bill? Jay Rodriguez? He'd cost an arm and a leg, surely. Yeah, I think he's actually come out today and said that uh, it's not necessarily British that he's after, he, as long as their technique's good and they, they fit the club. That's what he's after. In all fairness, he's managed to actually right a wrong for once in what he said, um, which is what we're after, essentially. Because uh, it's not like the media to take somebody's quotes and, you know, run with them or anything. No. Um, but I, I don't know. I, it entirely depends on how long term Levy sees. Sherwood with the squad and this is why I have I've had problems with the past with the players in which we we've been linked with selling because I would much prefer it to be one of those Januaries where we touch the squad not at all rather than it be one where we allow Sherwood to go hammer and tongs with some players in which he wants perhaps he'd be happy to get rid of because he doesn't see them in their plans and then in six months time if there's some sort of capitulation is if as City said, if the City lad said, if, if his bubble does burst at some point and it becomes evident that he really isn't the man for the job and we're going to have to hire a new manager in the summer, if we then sell Capu, for instance, and then in the summer, in the summer we get a manager in which he he becomes a player in which would be in, in the manager we had perfect plans and we then are in a state where we're going to have to go out and spend ten fifteen million pounds on a, on another defensive midfielder because we've sold one a few months earlier will look like a complete the organisation will look like a complete embarrassment and I can't <laughs> more can't than they already do more than they already do which is quite frankly a feat so I, I, I'd want the position of the management and the coaching staff making much more much more apparent before then it entirely depends as well on the, the structure of the club in terms of who's signing the players because although Baldini's in it was always sold to us as if Baldini was Villas Boas's choice for the job so if they were coming in as a partnership and the fact that he's apparently handed in his 
notice or whatever before and I had it told him to fuck off and stay in his job because he's, you know that's what he's there for and what have you. The fact that that was all shambolic for a couple of weeks isn't isn't good because if, if you look at some clubs and the one that do it the best probably in the, the Premier League of West Brom, um, their managers, they believe, are, are completely interchangeable. They've got a, a director of football and a, a, a almost like a company director and a, a man called Richard Garlick. And this, <laughs> I don't know why another, I found that so funny, but I do. Another man with a stupid name. Um, he he essentially he signs all the players. He decides what positions he needs, how much they're going to make. He balances the spreadsheets and he kind of runs it in an almost Levy-esque manner, but he's a middleman between the management department and the, you know, the, the proper chairman-esque department of the club. And he does that on a day-to-day basis. And then the people that they hire to manage the squad, they, they hire managers that fit their squad rather than hiring a manager and then creating a squad around them. So the reason why they sacked a manager and they have done in the past and then rarely done much transfer business um, dependent on that manager is because the coach, the coach's job is to get the best out of the players that are there without having to buy in players of his own, you know, admission. So I think it entirely depends on ourselves. And as we alluded to this year, lads, the, the communication between Tottenham Hotspur and, and us, the fans, uh, is ridiculously one one way. We don't get any sort of say with the club. We don't get any sort of real communication back. Our trust tries its best to do that, and what they do is admirable. But the fact that you know Rob gets to go as a, as a typical city blogger, he gets to go to their press conferences every week. He gets to write what he wants. He gets access to some of the players. He gets to you know have something that normally is only reserved for the top level press with official press passes and whatnot. The fact that his club are so open to him, they'll allow him to do that. Whereas I can tell you now, if if I sent an email on behalf of Spurs Statman and said, can one of the lads come down every week and, you know, write a piece on what goes on in the press conference, I would be told in no uncertain terms to fuck off in under five minutes from the press department. who would probably send me just a blanket email because that's the way in which it's run. It's, it's, you know, it's something we've said privately before, but you know, there's no point in not in hiding it. There's no sort of cooperation between the club and it's no. Like I said to, you, like I said off air, um, when I've tried to have a, a organise a piece of Tom Carroll in the past, my my literal response from the email I wrote this, you know, this long thing. It'd be really great to have a perspective from the player. I mean, blah, this blah, blah, wasn't blah. this wasn't like a couple of weeks ago or anything. This is a no, while no. ago. Yeah, exactly. It took him a couple of years ago when he was just a, a highly rated youngster. The the club literally responded with no. And then when I responded back to that, just saying, "Well, can you elaborate on that any further?" Just because I think a lot of fans would like to, you know, yeah, la 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 la. No. And that was just the reply, and that, that's 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 just what the club are like. It's a very a very special club, Tottenham Hotspur, in that respect. It's very very strange, and there is a real disconnect. Martin Cloak, who's a real uh, prominent writer in the Tottenham community, um, yeah, definitely worth following on Twitter. Really good bloke. Um, he's been vociferous of this lately, and oh, when the Spurs, um, you should everyone should have a listen to that as well. Um, Best Tottenham podcast out there, got to say. Um, they uh, they were they were having a good chat about with Danny Kelly from Talksport about Spurs as a club, and you know this is Danny Kelly, who's a, a respected kind of media figure, who you know is openly saying Tottenham are just a very 
different club when it comes to matters like that. When it comes to talking to the fans, you know, they said that all, all it would have required around this Villas Boas, around the appointment of Sherwood, is Levy to he doesn't even need to have a, a press conference as such. All it takes him is to whack out a statement on the website that says. We let Andre go because we felt his position had become untenable. Don't need to go into any details. You just need to say, we couldn't work with him any longer. We wish him well for the future. We're bringing in Tim Sherwood. We're, you know, we're bringing him on, on an interim basis or we're bringing him... Just giving us something, letting us know what the club's intention is. You know, is he our manager now? Because this is the thing, people are still kind of calling Tim Sherwood an interim, but he's got an 18-month contract. He, he's our manager. And we don't know the the nature of that that contract either. I mean, because it's so up in the air, we don't know after that eighteen months if if it's decided that he's not going to be our head coach for any longer. Will he then go back into the position he previously held, or will will that be the end of his time at the club? Um, he, he he wouldn't go. I think he wouldn't go back personally. But you don't know what the pre-existing nature no, of the contract okay, are. You don't know anything, do you? No. Um, it's the amount of guesswork we have to do as Tottenham fans is much more than I guess. So the clubs do. If you look at even at Arsenal, they have that that weird AGM thing that they go to every year. Where to be fair to them, the big hitters in their board and their manager, they'll go there every year and they'll speak to the fans. And at least they may feed them a load of bullshit and say that fourth place is like winning a trophy. But at least they fucking get up there and say something to them. We don't even get that. That's it. Fuck you, Spurs. No, I don't. I love you really, but fuck you, Spurs. It's like being in an abusive relationship, isn't it? I mean. They can beat us all they want, but we're still going to go crawling back with bruised eyes and broken ribs. That's it. But uh, that brings us to the end of the Ledley King special, Dash Manchester City. Um, we, end it, we end it broken like Ledley King ended his career. Yeah. Sad. Sad and jaded, but still in love. Um, yeah. How uh, How's Spurs Statman going, Raj? Anything going out on the site this week? Um, I'm supposed. I'll, I'll actually probably try and get around to writing a preview article for the City game because it's going to be one of those the more intriguing ones. Um, obviously, Rob, who does it more often, is is in the middle of the, the Argentinian countryside at the moment, doing his own version of the Sound of Music, dancing around every day. <laughs> Genuinely, follow him on like Instagram and stuff. It's like he's taking pictures off like Google and doing them because some of the places he's seen. I'm fairly jealous of. I mean, it's it's snowing in Yorkshire today, but it's still not as picturesque as you know, wherever he is. Um, and we should have you know reaction pieces and what have you up as as, as per usual. So um, steady on as we usually are, yeah. And you can of course follow the Spurs Statman account, which is generally run by the boss JP um, at Spurs Statman. Um, you can go to spursstatman.com to read any of those articles that get put up. And, of course, listen to all the previous episodes of Rule the Roost, which you'll also find on iTunes. Um, Rule the Roost podcast, I guess. Um, we've got a uh, Buzzsprout website that we always link to. So for anyone else that doesn't have an iPhone or doesn't like iTunes, so <laughs> essentially a weirdo, um, although iTunes is a bit crap, Um you can uh, listen to all the, the previous episodes there. You can follow us at RTRSSM. And uh, I guess all that remains to be said is come on, you Spurs. And oh, Ledley, Ledley, he's only got one knee. He's better than John Terry. 
Oh, Ledley, Ledley. Come on, you Spurs! Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com.